Good morning. We open up with me in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. We're going to be reading this morning uh, verses 21 through 31 together as we go through this sermon series. Uh, we're right about in the middle of Galatians and about the middle of the uh, sermon series. Uh, last week, uh, we talked about uh, this very big topic of adoption and how Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection, has adopted the Gentiles, has adopted the non-Jews, and we are all together as one big, happy family. And this is the concluding thought in Galatians 4, 21 to 31, on this very subject. And I hope, I hope you all enjoy this passage as much as I do. Uh, Paul has uh, given us this sense that we are free, that we are made free uh, because of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, because he paid that debt. And so let's look at uh, this passage together, starting in verse 21. Uh, li listen to just how fed up. <laughs> that he, he's, he's really just driving it home now. L listen to Paul's words. Now tell me, you who want to be under the law. I mean, it just gives you that... If even after everything I've said, tell me those who want to be under the law. Do you even know what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a, a slave woman and the other by a free woman. His son by the slave woman was born in an ordinary way, but the son by the free woman was born as a result of a promise. And these things can be taken figuratively, for the women represent two covenants, two promises. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears the children who are to be slaves. That's Hagar. Now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is from above, it's free. And she is our mother. For it is written, be glad, O barren woman, who bears no children, break forth and cry aloud, you who have no labor pains, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now you brothers like Isaac are children of promise, at the time the son born in the ordinary way, he persecuted the son born in the power of the Spirit. It's the same now. But what does the scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. Father God, as we pray together, we lift up a unified voice asking that your spirit will just guide and lead the discussion today. 
that your words here in Galatians will speak directly to each one of our hearts and our minds that we might see your truth. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We do reach the, midpo- the midway uh, point of the, of the, the, the Galatians, uh, the letter to the Galatians. We're also in the midway point of chapter 4. All of chapter 3, up until now, we've spent a lot of time talking about Old Testament laws. You see, the Galatian church really struggled to understand faith apart from the law. And agitators within the church were pushing them away from the true gospel of freedom. Now, now next week, we're going to really jump into freedom that we have in Christ. But this week, Paul makes one more final push for those who are questioning salvation by faith alone. Now, last week, I brought up Abraham. This morning, we've got to get a little bit deeper into his life and the importance of the first century Jewish Christian. So bear with me as we go through a little bit of this history together. There are three major promises made by God to his people. Now, now God made many promises in the Old Testament. We could take time just looking through those promises and being amazed at how God keeps his promises, how God keeps his covenants. But there were three major ones that every first century Jew would understand. He made a promise to David that David's throne would last forever. And even though Zedekiah was the last official king of Israel, we know that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of God's promise to David. The second promise was made to Moses. We call it the Mosaic promise. He promised that if Israel would follow God's command, they could remain in the land of Canaan. But if they wandered away, God would exile them. Today we know that they did wander away. You could read all about their wandering away and how God exiled them to Babylon. The final promise we're going to look at this morning is the promise made to Abraham, and that's the one that's brought up in this passage today. Paul has referenced Abraham several times, and we know we see it right here several times just in this passage. It's important to understand that Abraham is not a temporary promise or covenant like the Mosaic Covenant. The Abrahamic covenant included the land promised to Moses, but also the descendants beyond, more numerous than the stars in the sky, the sand on the seashore. You can read about it in Genesis. Therefore, the Jews also referred to themselves as children of Abraham. We need to understand this background because Paul makes some very confusing statements to the modern-day reader. Now, many of us here may have learned the Father Abraham song when we were in children's church. Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham, and I am one of them, and so are you. Right arm. We won't do all of them. 
And the children's church teachers, they teach that psalm because it's a great way for us to understand how we are included into the promise that God made to Abraham. We know that today. We're the modern-day reader, the first-century Jew, really struggled to understand that. And to us, it's history, right? But to the Jew, it's, it's everything. It's not just their heritage. It's not just their story. Abraham is the foundational promise in which all Jewish men and women place their trust. Our foundational promise is Jesus Christ, right? His life, death, resurrection, ascension. That is our foundational truth. You mess with that, and you're messing with the core teaching of our faith. Do you understand why Paul needed to take so much time talking about Abraham? This is foundational to them. I am one of them, but you are not, is how their song went. They needed to understand how Jesus now fits into this worldview that is heavily invested in the Abrahamic covenant. And so Paul makes three arguments to those who still want to be under the law. He makes a historical argument. He makes an allegorical argument, and he makes a personal argument. We're going to look at each one of those this morning. It's a lot of teaching this morning, but I promise if you stick with me to the end, you're going to go home with something. Something. I didn't say it was going to be good. All right, write this down in your, in your notes. This is the historical argument that he makes in these first few verses, starting with verse 21 that the true descendants of Abraham, it's not physical, it's spiritual. The true descendants of Abraham is spiritual, not physical. This is the, the first point he makes in the first few verses right here, verses 21 to 23. Now, I, I made the point last week that pointing out that John the Baptist understood this by the time that Jesus came around. John the Baptist knew this, and he looked at these Pharisees, he looked at these teachers of the law, he looked at these religious leaders of the day, and he said, you claim to be a child of Abraham, but I tell you that I can make, that God can make children of Abraham out of stones, out of rocks they are sitting out here in our parking lot. God can make rocks children of Abraham. John the Baptist knew the children of Abraham was a spiritual, was something very spiritual, not physical or heritage. I reminded you last week that God also said through the prophet Hosea, I will call them my people who are not my people. I will call her my loved one who is not my loved one. It's a reminder that God is more interested in children who are part of this spiritual heritage than physical. It is not enough to claim Abraham as our father. And he points out that he had two children. Did you notice that? All of Israel's claiming, I'm a child of Abraham. But what about what about that second 
child he had. What they're really saying is we're children of Isaac. But what about children of Ishmael? Many of you guys know that my mother passed away uh, back in August. I was honored and humbled to be able to do the eulogy uh, for her. Now, my sisters are eight and nine years older than I am, and I got a lot of fun stories from them about stories about my mom that, that I never heard. And my uncle, he was able to give me some great stories about my mom growing up on the farm. Now, she gave birth to three daughters and myself. And when I was younger, I used to joke that I was her favorite son. I was also her only son. In fact, my uncle, he, uh, he had two daughters. And so for my grandparents, I was the favorite grandson also. So in my eulogy, I was trying to think of something to break the ice, and I made the statement that I was my mother's favorite son. But I failed to consider that at that moment in time, I had two stepbrothers sitting in the front row. The children of Abraham, the Jews... They claimed to be children of Abraham, but they failed to remember that they had a stepbrother, right? There were two children. And the Jews in Galatia were reminded right here in this passage that they got a stepbrother who can also claim to be a child of Abraham. And so Paul is making a historical argument that claims that the descendants of a promise were kin spiritually, not physically. Let's move on to that second argument that we see here. It's an allegorical argument that the true Jerusalem is heavenly, not earthly. Jerusalem was not only the center of worship, but it, it would be very similar to us if I told you, if I, if I made the statement, uh, D.C. had talks with Paris about the climate. And you all would be like, oh, well, the United States of America is talking to France. It's very similar here. Jerusalem is very much who Israel is. But notice what Paul does in this passage. He says that Jerusalem is not only a physical location, but it's also a heavenly location. You see, Mount Sinai, that's mentioned here in verse 24 and 25, Mount Sinai was where the law was given, but Mount Sinai is also where Ishmael and his descendants lived. And that correspond to Jerusalem because Jerusalem was a center of worship. It's the center of where the law was read. So Paul is using the same figurative language here, that Mount Sinai is a law, it corresponds with Jerusalem, and it's the fulfillment of the promises made at Sinai. But the Jerusalem above corresponds with the promises made to Abraham. The earthly Jerusalem, the promises of Moses. The heavenly Jerusalem, the promises of Abraham. And so he quotes Isaiah here. Isaiah was written to the captives in Babylon 
who had broken their promises to God that God made the, that they made at Mount Sinai. And Isaiah promises that their sufferings will be over soon, labor pains. That they will experience the joy of going home, birth. Now this is literal, but it's a partial fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. Paul interprets the prophecy differently to the Galatian church. He's saying that the true and full fulfillment is found as the children with no father get to experience the same joy as the children of Abraham. The children with no father, that's Ishmael, send that slave away, get to experience the same joy as the children of Abraham. Because the true Jerusalem is heavenly, not earthly. Verses 28 through 31 give us a personal argument. This one's not for the agitators in the church. This personal argument, he's given something personal for the folks who are Gentiles. And they're trying to fit in. The personal argument is this. We should expect to be treated like Isaac. We should expect to be treated like Isaac. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of a promise. At that time, the son born in the ordinary way persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. Whew. So Paul is saying that the children of Abraham will be persecuted. And you could read about that fight that was going on in Genesis 21. The child grew, was weaned, and on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham threw this great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had borne to Abraham was mocking. Now notice what Paul is doing. In his personal argument, Paul is saying that Ishmael's conflict with Isaac foreshadowed the conflict we're seeing here in Galatia. But notice he's not saying that the Jews in Galatia were the ones who were being persecuted. He's saying that the Jews in Galatia, those who still held to the law, they were Ishmael's sons. The true spiritual children of Isaac are the Gentile Christians who are being persecuted. And he flipping the, the script. This is absolutely crazy because they built their life on this understanding that I am Abraham's child. And Paul is saying, you are, but it's not Isaac. And it's blowing their minds because Isaac represents the promise of Abraham. And the promise of Abraham is that all nations will be blessed. Paul is saying that those who live by faith will always be persecuted by those who live according to the law. But Paul gives us hope. He reminds the Galatians in verse 29 that God sent Hagar away. They do not share in the inheritance because they're not true children 
of a promise. And it'd be easy for the Jew of that time to say, well, those are the Gentiles. Paul's saying the exact opposite. That those are the ones whom God truly loved and wanted to care for. So he sent Hagar away. The one that was born of a natural way. And that opened up the opportunity for you and I to be part of this promise. We talked a lot this morning about historical covenants and promises made by God. And maybe it's the first time you've heard about these promises. Maybe, maybe you've known about all of them all your life. But I can't leave you today without hearing the fourth and final promise of God. And that starts in chapter 5. In verse 1, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Jesus Christ has set you free. And he's given you this new promise. There are those who are living by the law who are telling you, what you should look like, what you should wear, how you should act, how you should behave. But Jesus Christ came to give you a different life. A life that is full of not only freedom, but full of transformation. The power of the Spirit is what gives us that power to love, to care, to be kind. Jesus Christ paid the price for our mistakes. Jesus Christ paid the price for our evil behaviors. And now we don't have to carry that burden anymore. He carried the burden of the consequences of sin on his shoulders. He became sin who knew no sin. And it is by his blood that we are cleansed, that we are made new. And if you don't recognize those words, they're not only found in Scripture, but they're found in the song, Jesus Messiah. And that's going to be the song of communion this morning, a perfect way for us to worship God, to remember how we are made free. It's not from the law, It's not through circumcision. It is through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Pray with me, please. Father, we can't say thank you enough for the power of your resurrection. Thank you for setting us free from the power of death. Thank you for paying the price that we deserved. This morning, as we move into this time of communion, I pray that you'll fill our hearts with this kind of love. Remind us this morning of what it took to cancel our sins. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.